Welcome to the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations Interviews Podcast, a series of brief conversations with leading China experts on key issues in the Sino-American relationship. For more interviews, videos, and links to events, visit us at www.ncuscr.org. Good afternoon. This is Steve Orleans, President of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, and I am thrilled today to be joined by my old friend, Ambassador Winston Lord. He has recently completed a book, um, which is published, on Kissinger on Kissinger, Reflections on Diplomacy, Grand Strategy, and Leadership. When first, why this book and why now? Well, it's a pleasure to be here with you, Steve. Uh, Steve, by the way, was my mentor when we were doubles partners and my tour mentor when we were singles opponents. But I don't hold that against him. Um, <laughs> Henry Kissinger has never done an oral history. Uh, a few years ago, I, I and a colleague conducted a series of video interviews on Nixon foreign policy, sort of timelines. And when we got through, I thought, why not get Henry to do the last one and reflect back on these events uh, 50 years ago. He never had done one, so it took a little persuading, but he figured it would just be one interview. It was so good, we so barely scratched the surface that he agreed to five more. That formed the basis of this book. Uh, we cleaned up the transcript just a little bit. It's amazing in his 90s to recall events half a century earlier, and there's just a few repetitions and a few structural issues. So. What's in the book is pretty much what he said spontaneously. So you literally transcribed. So That's you right. Transcribe. And we just cleaned it up a little bit. So anybody to speak that articulately spontaneously would be a feat. But for someone in the early 90s looking at decades old issues, it was extraordinary. Yeah, and it really sounds, as you read through it, it really sounds like Henry. Yeah. I mean, it has his, his voice. Well, the it. idea was to bring the reader in with us in sort of an informal, intimate conversation. As in all history, it's one man's perspective. But I think uh, it's really a great access uh, for people who don't want to read thousand page memoirs. And for younger generations, some of these events are ancient history. So I think it'll be useful to them now, as well as future historians. You interviewed him on issues which you actually participated right. with him. What was it like to kind of be with probably the, the greatest statesman of the 20th century? Well, I was very fortunate as a special assistant. He paired me with regional experts so I was involved in the four main events of this book, opening the China detente with the Soviet Union, ending the Vietnam War, and Middle East diplomacy. He stretched you. Uh, <clears throat> there's a story that I tell which sort of gives you a sense of the agony and ecstasy of working with Henry. I was a speechwriter, and he would give me a subject. I'd come in with a draft, and a day later, he'd say, is this the best you can do? And I th said, I thought so, and then come in a couple days later, and he again asked me if it's the best we can do. This went on for six drafts. Finally, I said, Henry, that's enough. I've tweaked every semicolon, every paragraph. I cannot improve the speech any further. So he looked at me and smiled and said, in that case, now I'll read it. <laughs> you have But let me make a serious point, that he would stretch you. He would yes. stretch your patience, he'd stretch your nerves, but he'd stretch your capabilities. Yeah. And he wouldn't push someone if he didn't feel they could do something. He knew I could write someone couldn't write, he wouldn't push them like he did me. Now, between the forward and the beginning of the book is this great picture um, of Mao, Zhou Enlai, Nancy Tang, Wang Hairong, Nixon, Kissinger, and you. Why is this picture at the very beginning? 
at this momentous summit, Joe and I, as soon as we landed, said that the chairman wanted to see Nixon. Nixon asked Kissinger, his national security advisor, to come along. Henry, in turn, asked me, both as a favor, I assembled the president's briefing books, and I'd been on a secret trip setting up the summit. And also, so frankly, he didn't have to be a note-taker. He could concentrate on the meeting. Well, at the end of the meeting, Nixon and Kissinger told the Chinese to cut me out of the official picture and the communique because they didn't want to humiliate the absent Secretary of State, Bill Rogers. It was bad enough to have two people there without him, but to have a 30-year-old punk as well was too much. So I was cut out of all the pictures. But fortunately, a, a couple years later, Joe and I gave me this picture, which is in the book, Kissinger on Kissinger, uh, showing that I actually was in that meeting. So diplomatic history was edited, and then the truth finally came out. Um, reading the book, obviously, it reminded me of better times when people were much more thoughtful when there really was a strategy. But what, in the book, what do you think, especially the China portion as opposed to the other four portions, what are the lessons for today? Well, I think the lessons for any day in diplomacy uh, is to think strategically and not just react to discrete events or tactical issues. Sometimes, particularly today in the age of the internet and so on, you have to react quickly. But I think uh, to have a sense of uh, the other side's goals and domestic structure and their needs as well as your own, and then to figure out how to get to a, quote, win-win situation. So in the case of the Chinese, which we hadn't had any contact with for 22 years, <clears throat> we saw the Sino-Soviet split emerging, particularly because of the border clashes in 1969. Nixon and Kissinger decided that you would side with the weaker power. Plus, they both wanted to open up with China from the very beginning. Uh, and therefore, we started the process of getting in touch with the Chinese secretly and signaling publicly to various audiences the direction we were going. The result was a tremendous improvement in our relations with Moscow. All the Soviet experts had warned Nixon not to open up with China. They said this would hurt our relations with the Soviets. Nixon and Kissinger felt just the opposite. It also helped us. Uh, Largely end the Vietnam War, the Chinese put some uh, influence on Hanoi, not outright, but that was that useful for that. It helped the morale of the American people. We had an ambiguous ending to the war, but we had opening one fifth of the world's people, which put that in perspective. And it showed that the American administration was not bogged down in terms of diplomatic maneuver uh, at a time of this long standing war. So, for all these reasons, it met our strategic objective. So I think that kind of thoughtful approach is useful in any administration. Mm -hmm. The first sentence of the book is, statesmanship requires both the vision to establish long-range goals and the courage to make the often harrowing decisions to move towards them. Right. Is that what was going on today in US-China relations at the administration? which clearly it's harrowing times. Right. We're on the verge of a precipice, but is a charitable view that actually their, their statesmanship is quite extraordinary? No, it would be charitable to say it's extraordinary. It is extraordinary in one sense. It's one thing to have sort of tactical diplomacy, which sometimes is understandable. It's another to have diplomacy by tweet or instinct or impulse or desire for phony deals. Now, in the case of China, uh, I do think the administration was correct to recognize the evolving situation with China, both within it and its foreign policy, and the need for a somewhat firmer response. 
but it is lacking the strategic approach that I think is required to deal with China. First of all, as a competitor, not an enemy. We have a very difficult situation. It doesn't mean we should go for containment or decoupling. We do have to compete smartly. Uh, but the administration, I think, is leaving out three or four key elements of a good China policy. First, get your act together at home. Right. So we have this terrible political polarization, and we're not investing in our future so we can be competitive. So that's number one. Number two, work with friends and allies. And this administration has been alienating allies. Look at the trade war. If we could combine everybody who's got a grievance against China together, we'd have much more leverage with Beijing. Yeah. And finally, stick with multilateral institutions, not to supplant U.S. policy, but to supplement it. And so to pull out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, for example, was a terrible way to try to deal with China, not only economically, but geopolitically, and to maintain our presence in Asia, which we've lost by doing that. Pulling out of the Iran deal and climate change uh, institutions also defeat our overall foreign policy and give us less areas to cooperate with China. So I think even though they've recognized the problem, uh, the solution is not strategic at all. It's too instinctual and by tweet. You've obviously had an incredible career, integral to the opening to China, head of policy planning, ambassador to China, assistant secretary of state, president of the Council on Foreign Relations. When are you going to do the book on Winston Lord? I've done an oral history. It's not the most important in State Department files. It's about 5,000 of them, mm -hmm. but it is the longest. And Tom Pickering was creeping up on me a couple of years ago, so I told the State Department, if he gets any closer, let me know, I'm so going to go gonna, in. Are you going to publish it? Uh, it's on the internet. But anyway, with the case of Pickering, I, told the, State, I told the State Department, uh, let me know if he gets closer, I'm going to go in and dictate some more. Now, seriously, in a long oral history, you can go into granular detail, which is much more useful for journalists, for historians, for book writers, uh, than a, a, a book which you can't afford that kind of detail. So, Is there a transcript? Oh, yes. It's on the internet. So, so there's a transcript. If so one wants to go oral. to see my yeah. oral history and has plenty of time for 1,300 pages, it's adst.org. Uh, it's a diplomatic training center in the State Department, and then you go for oral histories. But, but seriously, I'm not going to do a book because uh, I'm married to a best-selling author. I know how hard it is to, absolutely. Have, to have a book do well, uh, and uh, I, I think I can be more useful with the oral history. Yeah. And one thing you can say about this book, it's, it, there are very few books that when I finish, I say, I wish there was more. But certainly in this book, given that its, it's length is really, what is it, 100 and... Well, it's 176, but really in terms of substance, it's about 140. Yeah, 138. So it, I urge it, every it, reader yeah. to buy several copies of Kissinger on Kissinger because it's not only a great book, but it's a very short book. It is a very short book, and it does leave the reader actually wanting to hear more. When I got to the end, truly, I thought, oh, geez, I wish there were a little more because it, it is a truly a fascinating look at, at uh, what were, in my view, better times when there really was strategic thinking. But... The book is Kissinger on Kissinger, Reflections on Diplomacy, Grand Strategy, and Leadership. Um, Wynne Lord and KT McFarland did it, along with Henry Kissinger, and it's really a worthwhile read, especially in today's uh, climate. So, Wynne, thank you so much for joining us. Thank today. you, Steve. Appreciate it.